Hello and welcome to Amplify from the Contemporary Music Centre. My name is Jonathan Grimes and this is a special episode from our podcast on new music and Irish composers marking this year's City of Derry International Choir Festival. You're listening to the Mornington Singers and conductor Orla Flanagan performing Rona Clark's Regina Chaley. And we'll hear more from Orla in the podcast, along with composer Sean Doherty. This is episode 27 and a very special welcome to any new listeners coming to us through the City of Derry International Choir Festival. To subscribe to the podcast and listen back on past episodes in the series, go to cmc.ie forward slash amplify. Here's CMC's director Yvonne Ferguson to tell us more about this week's episode and introduce our first guest. We're coming to the end of October. The leaves are crunchy underfoot. And for me, that would usually mean that, uh, to borrow a title from a Shorsha Bodley piano piece, I would take the narrow road to the deep north for the City of Derry International Choir Festival, where I have the great pleasure of hearing choirs from Ireland and abroad featuring choral works from CMC's collection in their performances. And I satisfy my curiosity of what works from our collection are proving popular with choirs. Contemporary choral music from Ireland is rich and vibrant and has gained a reputation internationally over recent years with dissemination to audiences by our finest choirs, Chamber Choir Ireland, Anuna, New Dublin Voices, the Mornington Singers and Latari, to name but a few who have been the wonderful choral ambassadors for choral works by Irish composers. But back to my dairy memories, and let's hope that next year the festival will be back offline again and we can enjoy the buzz in St Collins Hall on the final evening as the competition and award winners are announced and I get to hear the jury's decision on which choir will take home the CMC award for the best performance of a choral work by a composer from Ireland. CMC has been a partner with the festival from the earliest years with the award and our presence at the Choral Symposium. And in recent years, we've continued to work closely with the festival director, Donald Doherty, in our joint aim that a work chosen from the catalogue of the CMC or a work written by a composer represented by CMC is mandatory for those choirs entering the international competition resulting in the many visiting choirs to Derry engaging with Irish choral repertoire and continuing to perform it in their home countries. Last year, the CMC Award was taken home by an Italian choir for the performance of a work by a composer represented by CMC for whom Derry is his hometown. Choral music is his great passion and for whom the City of Derry International Choir Festival holds very special musical memories. Sean Doherty I spoke with Sean about all things choral and all things Derry for this, our special celebratory podcast for this year's City of Derry International Choir Festival. (laughs) 
Sean, you're very much associated with choral works. Now, not that you don't write for other forces, and of course you do, and very successfully so, but I think it's fair to say that many of us, when we think of your music, we think of the human voice. And uh, in celebrating the 8th City of Derry International Choir Festival in your home city, I'm curious, how early did this engagement with choral music and choral singing begin? Yes, I do write a a huge amount of choral music, uh, and that comes from my background as a singer. I went to St Eugene's Primary School, which is physically connected to the St Eugene's Cathedral. St Eugene's Primary School had a brilliant school choir, and then when that was finished, I went a stone's throw away up to the cathedral where I sang in the boys' choir. Then afterwards, I sang in City of Derry Youth Choir, uh, which is conducted by the festival director of City of Derry Choir Festival, Donald Doherty. So I still sing. I sing in a choir called New Dublin Voices, and that's directed by Bernie Sherlock, singing all the amazing repertoire that Bernie chooses. I sing a lot of my own pieces with them as well, and that can be quite awkward, singing your own piece in the rehearsal week after week. You're always called upon whenever something doesn't really go quite right or something needs explained, so it's handy to be the composer in the back row who has to kind of answer for the crimes. Last year, in 2019, New Dublin Voices went back to Derry to sing in the festival and we won. So it was a moment of huge pride for the whole choir and a moment of huge pride for me. We sang one of my own pieces called Snow Dance for the Dead in the competition. In the pub afterwards, in the in the city hotel where the big festival club is, everyone was there. There was a band playing and then the band finished up for the night and then four choirs who had performed my piece and you work in different contexts all came together and sang it as a kind of pub song this is nearly as good as winning the international competition of the choral festival that's another huge highlight from the festival so i can't wait until the the festival resumes itself in, in a normal manner You've mentioned something there, Sean, that, that that's kind of made me think. You, you were talking about the education that you have had by being in New Dublin Voices, singing your own works, getting that very honest feedback from choir colleagues. But I've observed actually over the years as well that your approach to your own craft is one of lifelong learning. I mean, you, you still, when, when kind of travel permits and, and, your, and your schedule permits, you attend lots of professional development for choral music programmes with leading choral composers and conductors. So, you know, is, is composition for you a lifelong learning experience? Oh, oh, absolutely. I don't think anyone would see it as anything but that. So I teach in Dublin City University. I teach on a new Masters in Choral Studies. Myself and my colleague, Dr. Roshin Bloody, conductor of Leitari Vocal Ensemble. Even in teaching it, I've learned so much more 
about the craft of choral composition in terms of having discussions with the students. I've reflected so much more and so much more in depth about what it means to craft a phrase, what it means to choose to slightly highlight this note, stress this syllable as opposed to that syllable. And we have the most incredibly in-depth conversations over these very, very nuanced details. So that kind of reflection and discussion has really stimulated me in terms of my own compositions and in my research as well. That kind of leads me to to another question I have, which is, of course, the very obvious one that in the composition of choral works, you have not always, but most of the time, there's the additional layer of the text. Um, And that may not be in your own language or any language you speak. How do you approach choosing texts for your choral works? I think a huge amount about texts and I love exploring different texts. I read a huge amount of poetry and, and different texts all the time. So I I keep a diary about what possible texts I could use in the future. I love working with living poets. I've worked recently with Paula Meehan, a fantastic poet from Dublin. We worked together first on a project for the Age and Opportunity Botany Festival, where I set works from her collection Geomantic. We had our first meeting and I decided I wanted to set these four poems. And then she said, but I want you to really set this particular poem here. It's the only one of the whole collection where she pointed out and marked in red crayon around it that she wanted me to set it. It was called The Ghost Song. It was not one that I had chosen myself to set. This first stanza is about Christmas shopping and the stress that comes from Christmas shopping. I took the poem and thought, what am I going to do with this poem? And I thought then Paula will be fine if I change it slightly, if I take the text and make my own reading of it, and then project that in my musical setting. about grief. It says, I learned to breathe your high, lithe ghost song from thinnest air. So I took that and I just extracted even more words from that. So it, it goes, I learned to breathe your ghost song. I used that as a basis for my composition. My, my image of it was to take this ghost song that you would hear in the ether, is it even audible? And then piece together the sense of that line, I learned to breathe your ghost song. So my setting is, I learned to breathe, I breathe your song, and then it puts together the complete line, I learned to breathe your ghost song. And that's something you can do in choral music, but you can't do it in poetry. You can do it because everything can happen simultaneously and it can make sense. It's a glorious thing that can happen in choral music. Just where you're talking about kind of the text there and how you kind of manipulated it, I suppose, for for want of a better word. I mean, you've done this before as well, where you've kind of married 
your own tune and a, and a pop tune. You've also taken uh, inspiration from medieval English texts. Um, and you've also not shied away from, I suppose, not addressing, but certainly referring to kind of political issues or uh, issues of the day in, in some of your works. And, you know, one of my favourite carols every Christmas when it, when it comes around, I, I enjoy listening to it, is, is This Endless Night. And you dedicate that to the innocence of, of Syria. And your Snow Dance for the Dead references a, a particularly dark time in, in Russian history as well. I mean, where do you think this this comes from within you as a, as a, as a creative artist? It's an area that I'm really interested in. I'm, I'm, I always am kind of drawn back to exploring it. The sense of the injustice towards children that are caught up in war is something that I feel really strongly about. It was written back in 2000. I think the first draft was back in 2011, just whenever the Syrian civil war was starting. And I was horrified by the, the, the stories coming out of Syria. It was around Christmas time. And I kind of reflected on the massacre of the innocents and how that was also a state-sponsored massacre in the Middle East um, at around that time. So I wanted to draw those two elements together. I'd found this text, this endless night, which is a gorgeous, gentle lullaby from the nativity. I just wanted to kind of point out that this is all great and is, is very, very sweet and, and gentle. But a few days afterwards, all the firstborn children, males were slaughtered. We can't have just the beautiful, perfect version of the nativity without considering the, the, the massacre that was only a few days away. So it, it's those kind of two things I wanted to marry, having this endless night text with a medieval French text called La Mame, which is the armed man, the armed man is coming. It's a medieval English text and a medieval French text, and I put them together and put the two tunes together. This is another great thing about singing in choirs. You get to live with the music. So whenever I compose anything for, for choral forces, I know that the choir is going to take this piece and they're going to rehearse it over a whole term, over a, a year, and then it'll come back the year after, the year after that. It may not be the case in professional instrumental music where you sight read it once and that's it. Um, these people will live with it day after day. And it's an almost a kind of process of meditation on this same piece and on the text Every choral singer does this. They kind of say, what does the text mean with the music at this point? And if it's too blatant immediately, that's not interesting either. What you want is a piece to reveal its meaning with every rehearsal, with every time you listen to it, every time you perform it. And I love that process. Sean, over the last year, I think, or, or possibly more, you can correct me, you've worked on a choral project with people who are living in direct provision. And, you know, there's there's such a power in singing. We've talked about that and we, we both know that very personally. Of course, there's a democracy in singing. You know, everyone has the instrument, though it would be simplifying things to say that everyone has the same instrument, but of course they don't. But, you know, this was a very powerful, a very significant project that you worked on for um, people living in direct provision. 
that was an incredible project. It was called Song Seeking. And it was a research project that was based in six direct provision centres across Ireland. So I went and worked with choral facilitators who were working within these centres. And I sat in on their workshops and saw what worked, what didn't work, and then sang with everyone. This was an amazing, amazing project. If you had told me at the start of it how much it would affect me, I wouldn't have believed you. Going into these direct provision centres and meeting people at one of the most challenging moments of their lives and then being willing to share their stories with me and then seeing the effect of choral singing in the direct provision centres, seeing the joy that it brought to people and to see the, the possibilities for promoting social inclusion between those people living in direct provision and the communities outside. It could be 20 children, it could be all adults, it could be a mixture of everyone in between, it could be babes in arms. Suddenly everyone's up singing together, everyone's singing in harmony, everyone starts to dance. It was phenomenal. Kaluma, 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 Kaluma. It gave me a, a zeal and a passion to make sure this project was the best project I could possibly make it because it was so, it was so important. I didn't realise the kind of context that we had to work in. You can't rely on week-to-week -week rehearsals. People might have left direct provision the next week and that's great you want them to leave that's only kind of why you, you want people to leave you can't plan for the for week to week learning so it had to, these had to be really really flexible pieces that you had to that could be done in any number of ways and that's different from how i normally work normally uh, the choir asks me to write a piece i write the piece i give the piece over and then i go to the premiere and take a bow this was a completely different process entirely and uh, one that was really affecting for me personally. The conditions that, that I saw um, there and the, the, the hardship, but yet the generosity of spirit from the people living in direct provision was just incredible. Generosity of spirit through choral singing. Sean Doherty, thank you so much for sharing your, your insights into uh, all the wonderful projects that you get up to in uh, in choral singing and all your, your wonderful choral works as well. It's been a great pleasure to have a chat. Thanks so much, Sean. Thanks, Yvonne. Sean Doherty, speaking to CMC director Yvonne Ferguson. And you can find out more about Sean's work by visiting our website, cmc.ie, or his website at seandohertymusic.com. For details of all the music used in the podcast, please see the show notes for the episode at cmc.ie forward slash amplify forward slash episode hyphen 27. Next, conductor Orla Flanagan. And like Sean, Orla has a strong connection with the City of Derry International Choir Festival. She's been conductor of the Mornington Singers since 2002 and together they have commissioned, performed and recorded works by numerous Irish composers during this time. I spoke to her about her work with the choir and I also asked her to choose a number of works by Irish composers that she's performed. You'll hear about these choices throughout our conversation. Here it is now. My name's Orla Flanagan. 
I'm a choral conductor and music lecturer at Trinity College Dublin. There was always music in my family from an early age. My dad taught me piano and my mum was always singing. I guess I got more serious about it in my teens. I joined the Park Singers under Sean Kramer and I also was getting piano lessons, hand theory lessons in the College of Music. I eventually decided to follow a path in music in Trinity. I did my undergrad degree there. And after that, I went to Hungary to further my studies. It never for once occurred to me that I might end up as a conductor. I didn't think my personality would be suited to it. When I went to Hungary, the sort of skills that you learn there really equip you well for choral music. So when I came back and I had the opportunity then to audition as a conductor for the Mornington Singers, I got a chance to really try out my skills and to develop them. You started conducting them in 2002. How has your work with the choir shaped your own development as a conductor and a musician over those 18 years? I'd say we've kind of grown up together in a funny way. The choir was in a very early stage when I took over. They had been in existence for five years. They were a student graduate choir in Trinity and they wanted to continue singing together after they graduated. But they had three conductors then in in the first five years of their life. And as is often common in the early stages of a choir, they had quite a, a big turnover of members. So it was quite unstable at the beginning. When I started working with them, we did a very broad range of of musical styles, and we still do. As the choir was able to do more, then our horizons were broadened and opened, and and the choir was able to work with a a greater range of contemporary composers. I've been teaching in Trinity for the last 20 years as well, and surrounded by really great composers there. So the line between composing and performing, the synergies that are there are, are quite immediate to me. kind of was a natural thing with my choir work that we would explore that music. The choir is naturally curious and they love to have the composers come in and give their own conception of the piece and be involved in the process. It's probably becoming increasingly collaborative and that process is a lot of fun. A few years ago we had the chance to work with my colleague Evangelia Rigaki in Trinity and she was doing an installation piece called The Pregnant Box where they actually erected a confessional in Front Square in Trinity and the choir was kind of a Greek chorus wandering around Front Square in various formations and positions and parts of the campus and that was, um, I mean, that was such fun, I have to say. It was um, an unusual setting to be working in. This 
so hard to see. She isn't happy. Oh, this girl has to see a social worker. Oh, this girl had a one-night stand. Oh. We've also had the opportunity recently to make a CD of John Buckley's work, of his choral work, which has never been recorded together. That was a different kind of process in that a lot of the music had been written, you know, maybe 20 years prior. But at the same time, he wrote new pieces as well. And there was quite a bit of engagement between myself and himself with that. John takes quite an active approach when he's dealing with performers. So he would attend rehearsals and that was really a lot of fun as well, like very beneficial. Two of the pieces actually on the CD, um, I've chosen them here. Um, one of them is his Lux Eterna, which he wrote for the choir in 2017. There's a sort of a simplicity about it, beautiful homophonic setting with a soprano solo and an alto solo. a more extended setting called To the Northeast, where he set 9th century Irish lyrics. He made his own translation into English and, and wrote a three-movement piece. So the third movement of that, Harbour Song, I chose it because it's just beautiful stillness to it and really evocative of the sea. And the other thing actually about his choral music that really strikes me is how he can really inhabit the atmosphere of a text. I found that really powerful. So for example, there's a beautiful Keats setting, the poem to sleep, the atmosphere of it. And likewise, he wishes for the clots of heaven. There's a setting of that. And it's quite hard to put in words exactly how he does it because it's not um, setting the individual words necessarily but it's just a, a kind of a gift for for feeling the atmosphere of the poem and really getting inside the text in that way is it that you look for in a new work? What are the important things to you when you first come across a piece that really makes you want to perform it? I love when a text is, is set in an imaginative kind of way. 
one of the pieces I chose, Sean Doherty's Undersong. We had a composition competition with the, the Mornington Singers in 2012, I think it was. And it was one of the winners. And he picks a, an Irish-American poet, Lola Ridge, and her Undersong poem. And he, he just conjured up a mysterious, wordless music emanating from the forest. It was really beautiful. So using extended techniques to kind of create this this soundscape of forest sounds. But also he gets the atmosphere of the poem and uses interesting choral textures to achieve that and to achieve that atmosphere. That opening that you hear is just, it's completely notated. It's absolutely amazing how he just nailed it. He's quite specific with what everybody needs to do to create the rustling of the trees and the whistling of the wind and the birds and tweeting. So yeah, the alto twos, I remember, had a lot of fun with the bird songs. They got to choose their own birds. And of course, Sean also features in this podcast, which is in part in collaboration with the Derry International Choir Festival. And you yourself have had an association with the festival. Tell us about that association and and how far it goes back. It's a relatively new festival, but it's really made its mark very quickly. I've been to the Derry Festival twice and both times were absolutely memorable. The first time I brought the choir to it, I think it was 2016, we were competing in it and just had a brilliant weekend. I think the really successful festivals are ones where they have lots of other events other than just the competitive element. It's just vibrant. You get to hear the other choirs that are there. They bring over um, other choirs from abroad as well to give concerts. And yeah, it was a wonderful time. And, and then another year I went back to adjudicate, which was equally exciting. Yourself and the Mornington Singers have had many national and international successes, most notably last year at the International Baltic Sea Choir Competition. How important are competitions for the musical and artistic development of any choir? Yeah, I think they're kind of a necessary evil for us in some ways, you know. You get exposed to loads of new repertoire from travelling around to these competitions and that's that's one of the best things about it. It also pushes the choir to new levels and gives them an opportunity to showcase the music of their own country. And I think that's one of the best things as well, that we can bring our outputs as Irish choral singers and showcase them. One of the things that I find a little bit challenging is that, they're you know, they're quite prescriptive sometimes in what you have to prepare for them. So, you know, you've got an early piece, a romantic piece, and then a certain set piece. Sometimes you you end up having to learn pieces that you would never normally program. And yeah, it constrains your programming then because you're devoting a certain amount of your time to getting certain pieces up to a really, really very high level. Where with a a choir that can read music very well, you, you know, you might get through a lot more repertoire. I've decided that the benefits outweigh the challenges because 
of the the places that they bring choirs. I don't mean the physical places, but the the musical places. We've we've definitely with the Mornington singers have attained our our highest levels when preparing for competitions. Given that this is affected uh, by COVID, how much do you miss not being able to travel and perform at these competitions and festivals? It's very tough at the moment. We're not going as far as a rehearsal room at the moment with with COVID-19. I think choirs have been particularly badly hit with the pandemic because of um, it's pretty much emerging as evidence that it's it's unsafe to sing, uh, to sing together. So that is something that's difficult and and certainly the ongoing restrictions on travel are going to be very challenging for musicians. You know, from the point of view of a choir that isn't singing professionally, it's less problematic in some ways, you know, it's they, they're not reliant on it for their livelihood. They really miss singing together, but, you know, nobody's going to lose their job over it. So my view from that perspective is, you know, to wait it out and that we, we're doing our bit for the for the greater good and we can't rehearse together at the moment and on balance weighing it up it, it just doesn't seem like the most important thing in the world at the moment for us not being a professional choir we are doing zoom the dreaded zoom rehearsals which i can't really call them rehearsals but in order to keep the voices in practice we're doing weekly sessions so one of the things we can do over zoom is is work on choir technique on vocal technique get people's individual techniques and from in some ways that's that's almost better individually so they can hear themselves it's a, a humbling experience as a conductor to find yourself without a choir <laughs> we really are nothing without our choirs so you know it's i'm finding that really really tough and i'm i'm just trying to focus on maintaining my own musical skills musicianship skills and and challenging myself like that and seeing what i can share with my singers to try and challenge them you know, I feel that all choral singers will appreciate the experience, the shared experience of singing together so much more. We've appreciated it already, but in, in the future, it'll be really wonderful to get back in there and, and to hear the voices together and to, to, to share that experience.
Finally, I asked you, and and you you uh, alluded to this uh, earlier on in the conversation, to to choose a number of works that you had performed or commissioned by Irish composers over the years, and you mentioned uh, two of them: one by John Buckley, and then the the last piece by by Sean Doherty. There are some other pieces as well that you've chosen. Maybe tell me about those and 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 why you you've chosen them. Yeah, well, one of my favourite Irish composers, Rona Clark, I've chosen her Regina Chaley from her two Marian anthems. We recorded this as part of our Undersong CD with Mornington Singers in 2017. I just love this piece because it's so jubilant. It's just joyous and we all need more joy in our lives at the moment. I love Rona's um, choral music. It's just so well written from a singer's perspective. Um, it's obvious that she was a choral singer in a previous life as well. The singers enjoy singing it. It makes the choir sound good and it's jubilant and rhythmic, energetic, beautiful. Another piece I chose was um, Frank Corcoran's Queena. kind of a, a reimagination of the Shannos idiom and the Irish landscape. So you almost feel like you're hearing a folk song in it, but it's entirely composed by him. There's a kind of a directness and simplicity to it. It's a solo soprano, Aideen Rickard in this case, with just a kind of a hushed backing choir um, and a story of, typical Irish story of heartbreak and emigration. And then another one that I've chosen is Gráinne Movi's Dead Earth, which was written, I think, in 2010 for the, the Bale Festival of Words and Music run by Elizabeth Hilliard and David Bremner. So this was actually premiered by the Milltown Chamber Choir, which was then a professional choir. So we had 12 singers, each with their own tuning fork. It was a hugely challenging piece, it's fair to say, even for professionals. It took a fair chunk of rehearsal time. And it was just really wonderful to work on this um, 
with Grainne and again Grainne came to rehearsals and was just such a, a, a positive presence there. What struck me and the reason I, I chose it was just the, the kind of textures that she gets out of the singers. They are really unusual, often singing in, in semitone clusters together. It was just a wonderful challenge to do it. It's hugely rewarding when you get a choir from A to B, as it were, and particularly for a first performance of a piece, you know, bringing it to life for the first time. And I think one of the one of the most rewarding things, and again, it's, it's one of the, the challenging things also, is that there is no perfect performance. So you're always striving to, there's always going to be something that you, you want to do again and to, to have the chance to, to repeat. Orla, thank you so much for your time. Thanks so much, Jonathan. Music by Owen Mulvaney. Ending this conversation with Orla Flanagan. My thanks to Orla and Sean Doherty for their time in talking to us. That's all for this episode. We'll be back in two weeks with Karen Power and Ed Bennett on their new albums. Until then, thanks for listening and stay safe. <laughs>